What is it about the blessing? What is it about this blessing we read about that could compel an honorable woman like Rebecca to go to such lengths to fool her own husband in order that her son Jacob might receive it? What was it about this blessing that would lead a sensitive son like Jacob to deceive his father and risk the wrath, maybe even death at the hands of his older, stronger brother in order to get it for himself? What about this gift? Would it make an inveterate tough guy, a man's man like Esau, weep and whimper like a little child pleading for his father to endow him with this blessing the way he had already given the blessing to his younger brother? To understand the answer to these questions, it's important to grasp the fact that in ancient times, Hebrew fathers typically gave out two major gifts during the course of their lives. One of those gifts was called the birthright. The birthright was the the gift of the material assets of that father. And at some point, the father would make the decision to pass on those material blessings to one of his children, typically to the eldest son, to do with then as that son chose. Needless to say, if you happen to be the eldest, it was a good deal. (laughs) If you didn't happen to be the eldest, you needed to fend for yourself or you would need to depend upon the charity of your older sibling to give you a job on the family estate or or otherwise take care of you in some way. You can imagine how this made for cheerful family relationships. But there was also another gift that dad gave out and this one was regarded as even more valuable than the birthright. We go back to the story in the scriptures. We know that Jacob had already managed to convince Esau to give up the birthright. He caught him at a particularly low and hungry moment. He was low on blood sugar. He was was anxious for food. and, And Esau sold his birthright for a mess of pottage. For a bit of of stew. But now there came this moment when the Hebrew father was ready to give out the second gift. This was not the birthright, but the blessing, as it was described. In this tradition, a Hebrew father would call his most favored child to him and perform a special ritual which conferred upon that child not just material blessings. Oh, those could be taken away. Those could be lost. But in this case, the blessing was the gift of a spiritual asset. Something which could never be stolen. Dad would pass on an irrevocable gift of faith, hope, and love that would become a vital force for the good within the life of that particular child. Somebody who would receive the blessing would handle life differently than those who did not have it. They would face the pains and struggles of this life with an inner source of confidence, of peace and power that would, would enable them to handle things like those without the blessing never really could. The external world could menace and change, but the blessed ones would live into life with an inner endowment that could never be stolen. The power to bless was one of the greatest powers of all. I want to suggest to you today that this power remains within God's people still. 
It's there in the hands of fathers and grandfathers. It's there in the, in, in the capacity of, of trusted mentors. It's something which, which can be given even by women in, 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 in non-paternal roles or, or, or motherly roles. The power to bless is still there. But it's especially important that the fathers and the grandfathers who have been entrusted with a role of stewardship of families and of younger ones understand the nature of this blessing, how it works and how they can pass it along. And so I want to invite you today to think with me, to go back over this story we've just read and consider the various elements that go into passing on the blessing to others. Verse 26 of Genesis chapter 27 provides us with the first clue. We read, Isaac said to Jacob, come here, my son, and kiss me. So Jacob went to him and kissed him. I want you to picture this. I want you to imagine them. I want you to see the embrace between the father and the son. I want you to see how close they come. I want you to see the arms around one another. The exchange of the kiss. Because to confer the blessing, the first thing that a Hebrew dad did was to provide or invite a meaningful touch. A meaningful touch. Have you ever noticed how jammed full the Bible is of pictures of meaningful touches? In the story of the of the prodigal son, maybe the best known story in all of the New Testament. How does the famous father there express his forgiveness to the wayward child? Do you remember? Do you remember what happens? What does he does when the boy comes home? The Bible says he embraced him. He held him close. In the story that we read in the Gospels of, of the care that a woman renders to Jesus as he's facing the agonies of the cross ahead when she comes and brings her alabaster jar. Do you remember how this peasant woman demonstrates her devotion to Jesus? She breaks the jar. She pours out the perfume. She wipes his feet with her hair and washes them with the perfume uh, and her tears. In an encounter with an outcast leper in Luke's gospel, chapter 5, how does Jesus show his acceptance of the leper? Do you remember how he does it? What does he do? He touches him. He reaches out and touches him. He offers him this meaningful touch. The Bible is filled with these images of love and acceptance and blessing and care being offered through meaningful touch. And conferring a blessing still works that way today. It's why we physically touch people with the sign of the cross when we baptize them. It's why when we're commissioning leaders, missionaries, servants of various kinds to important tasks, we lay hands upon them. It's it's why we, we, we lay hands on people to pray for healing in times of need. We believe there's a power in the blessing that moves through that meaningful touch. It's why we reach out with a warm handshake. You'll do that many times perhaps this morning before you leave this building. It's why we greet people with a warm embrace when they come to our home. We know that a meaningful touch has the power to confer life in some strange and mysterious way. And it does. It does, literally does confer life. If a baby is born and is not touched, if it's left without touch, it could have all of the, uh, of the words of affirmation possible spoken to that child. That baby will die, literally die, without the touch 
Conversely, we know that, that, that older people left in retirement homes will not thrive anywhere near as much as if they are regularly hugged and kissed and, uh, and touched in some meaningful way. God has given touch the power to confer belovedness that literally strengthens the, both the spirit and the body of a person's life. And obviously, that kind of touch always has to be given with thoughtfulness and care, with respect for other people's boundaries. Some of us have been touched too much. It's other of us have been touched when we didn't want to be touched. It has to be done with great sensitivity and care. But in the right context, a meaningful touch can do more good than a thousand words ever can. Dads, mentors, are we giving that particular element of the blessing to people? Are we offering the power of that touch to the people that are within our reach? Please do remember that words also have their place. Howard Hendricks tells the story of a husband who was in marriage counseling who was asked by the counselor if, when the last time was that he told his wife that he loved her. And the man responded, I told her I loved her on the day we got married and it stands until I revoke it. <laughs> there are some guys that are sort of wired that way. Right? They, they just figure they don't need to say it. The other person should know it. There's enough evidence of it in the mind of that particular person. But contrast that mentality with the, the, the image that we're given in Genesis 27, verse 27. When Isaac caught the smell of Jacob's clothes, he blessed him. I just love this because I've got three boys. Let me tell you, when I catch the smell of their clothes, <laughs> it's not usually like this. Not moved to these kinds of words. Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field the Lord has blessed. My impulse is, yeah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field a cow is blessed. <laughs> and yet, you just see this, these words of, of value, of, of esteem being spoken by the father to the son. Some time ago, I stood at a graveside with a group of family members as they laid a very cherished dad and granddad in, into the hole in the ground. And uh, as I always do, I ask them at that particular moment to share with me one particular attribute, one memory, one gift, one character trait that they were going to take from this person's life with them as the treasure, as a seed of, of fruitfulness from that place. It was not hard for them to speak. They, they've talked about all the qualities of this uh, wonderful guy's life. Uh, but as the tears flowed from the, from the eyes of the family members, it was obvious that for some of them, uh, there was pain in putting into words these things because of the, the realization that, that they had not said these things enough to, to, to dad and granddad. They had felt them. They had just not said them often enough to this person that they loved. Are you speaking regularly the words that communicate the value you feel to your children, men, to your spouse, to your close friends, to the people who need the blessing of 
Words of, of spoken value. Are, are, are you telling them how much they mean to you? What you see in them? I got a call this past Thursday from my own father. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I picked up the phone and, and it was a message. I didn't get a chance to talk to him directly at this particular moment. But he had been driving on his way up to the state capitol. My dad also is a, a state senator. He was driving up to the capitol to do work. And on the way, he had been listening to, 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 to some sermons uh, that I had given. And, um, and I've always been a little bit nervous about sermons and my dad listening to them because my dad's a very accomplished public speaker. And I've always felt, you know, just a little bit less than him in these ways, uh, uh, in some, some ways not quite up to my dad's standard in these things. And he said, I just called to tell you that I listened to these sermons and they deeply blessed me. They deeply blessed me. Thank you so much, son, for, 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 for using your gifts in that way. You, you've got it. You've got this. I can't tell you how much that prepares me just to get up and even talk to you today better than it would have been had I not gotten that call. How are you speaking those words of spoken value to the people in your life? Honey, I just love the way you smell when you wear that aftershave. Son, I just, I don't say it often enough, but I'm really proud of you. Daughter, I just, I love the way you work with people. You're just so, you're much better at it than I am. I just, I just think it's something special. Sweetheart, just seeing your smile lifts my spirits more than you know. Don't worry about saying something that other people already know. Don't worry about repeating yourself. Don't be concerned about sounding uh, uh, non-eloquent. Just speak those words of value. Just say it like God the Father says it. Behold, this is my son. This is my daughter. This is my beloved one in whom I am well pleased. Be a bearer of the blessing that comes through a meaningful touch. And secondly, through spoken words of value. There is a third and final component to the blessing that some of us in this room or in a particularly good position to confer upon other people. And by that, I mean offering to somebody else a special pictured future. Describing to somebody else a picture of the future that involves them in it in some special way. Listen to how Isaac does this for Jacob in the next verse, verse 28 of Genesis 27. He says, May God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's richness an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples uh, bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. In other words, son, I just see this incredible future. You're going to be a person of great influence and honor and blessing. That's your destiny. That's what's coming your way. When Isaac spoke those words, Jacob was not much to look at. He was a lad with a certain conniving streak, frankly, that might just become the stuff of ingenuity, 
if properly watered over time. He had a shrewd intelligence that could become the stuff of leadership if it was nurtured in the right way. He was a boy of simple means who might just parlay them into a respectable fortune if he didn't happen to fall in with the wrong crowd. And yet as tempting as it must have been to say to him, uh, the kinds of things that parents sometimes say, son, there's no one who's ever going to want to date a messy guy like you. I mean, shave. You've got hair all over you. Right? Uh, Or son, if you don't develop better manners, you're going to be an embarrassment to your mom and me. I mean, wash once in a while. Or, or maybe, child, with your work habits, you'd better hope you can find somebody to take care of you. Isaac says instead, child of mine, I believe there are great things in store for you. And I am betting that with God's help and grace at work in your life, you're going to have a spectacular future. One in which you are a person of great influence. And great honor and great blessing. Make the most of it. Makes the most of that wonderful future I see for you. You know, for what it's worth, the historical record shows that Jacob did. (laughs) He did. Jacob, whose name God changed to what? Israel went on to become that person his dad had pictured in the blessing. He became the ingenious, prosperous, faithful leader that his father had pictured for him. And I think it can become the same for the people that we also bless. We can say, you know, I know that you're struggling with your studies right now. I know, I know you're going through a hard time. I just admire the fact that you keep working at it. And I I believe you've got a fine mind and that God is going to use it in wonderful ways. So you may not be a mathematician, but I know you'll find a great path and be of a great influence in the years to come. Or, Or, you know, I really hurt with you during this very tough time. I know it just doesn't make any sense right now. But I honestly believe that God is tempering your character. And he's preparing you in some way that, that, that where you're going to see it all come together for good downstream. And I just, I can't wait to that moment when the aha comes for you. And you know how blessed you were along the way. Or I've noticed how thoughtful and observant you are. I bet you're going to be an incredible spouse to somebody. I can see what a great parent you're going to become, what an extraordinary mentor or leader you'll be someday because of these qualities I notice in you. Few things, few things make such a difference in this world as when we bestow the blessing on others. I'll never forget the guy. His name was Joe in the church that I was working in as a volunteer, as a very young man. And I remember I got up, I was given an opportunity to speak in church one day. And I, I, my mouth was so dry, my tongue stuck to the roof as if there was peanut butter in there. I, I was awkward. I stumbled over my words. Joe pulls me aside in the coffee hour and he says, he says, young man, he says, you know, I, I know you were a little nervous up there, but I, you know what? I really think 
I actually think you might have the gift to become a, a, a public speaker someday. And I want to encourage, I think you're going to become a wonderful speaker someday. You just keep practicing. The power of the blessing. The power of the blessing is one of the greatest capacities God has given to human beings. I want to give a manly knuckle bump to every one of you dads who have been conferring it. In whatever ways you could along the journey. In our culture today, we're constantly lampooning men. You watch the common cartoon, you listen, you look at the sitcom, you, you, you listen to the narrative of our culture. Men are all buffoons and idiots and selfish and, and narrow-minded and all they want is food and sex and football. And, you know, that's just not true. Maybe 10% of the time we want that. But, but, but men are much more than this. We are much more than this. You guys are much more than this. And I want to, again, I want to encourage you. I want to bless, Dad, bless you for the ministry that you have been exercising along the way. There are hundreds of people out there in the circles of influence you occupy who are better because in some way you offered that meaningful touch. You gave those spoken words of value. You pictured that special future for somebody. I know that, that none of us parents perfectly I know that about me. Boy, my kids were here. They could tell you stories of where I've fallen down on the job. It is hard to keep it together, isn't it, guys? I mean, it's hard to juggle it all, and we blow it. We fall short of our, of our greatest hopes at times. It's harder still if we ourselves didn't receive enough of the blessing from the, the men who came before us in our, in our experience. That is why it's important to remember that all of us Every one of us, male or female, young or old, do have a dad who loves us perfectly. Philip Yancey, a well-known Christian author, describes the time when when he discovered that in a deeper way and, and found himself even more able to appreciate his own father. While rummaging through an old box of photographs, Philip Yancey came across a mangled picture of himself as an infant when he couldn't have been more than 10 months old. The elder Yancey, the father uh, of the boy, had contracted uh, spinal bulbar polio uh, just months before uh, Philip was born. And, And this condition rendered him completely paralyzed by age 24. In 1950, polio was regarded with as much fear as AIDS was at the beginning of our experience with that illness. And people who had it were were regularly relegated to to solitude. They were kept away from people for fear that that others might catch what they have, this terrible debilitating uh, disease. And so Philip's father was actually sequestered away. He spent the last several months of his life inside of an iron lung, lying on his back, completely cut off from his family. And unable to move and struggling even to speak, the only brightness in that father's life was supplied by the photographs of his wife and his child that were stuck between the, stuffed in between the knobs of the iron lung. Yancey writes, when my mother told me the story of that crumpled photo, I had a strange and powerful reaction. 
It seemed odd for me to imagine somebody caring about me, whom in a sense I had never met. Because Yancey really never knew his dad. He died before the boy was old enough to to know him. Yet during the months, the last few months of his life, writes Yancey, my father had spent his waking hours staring at those images of his family, of my family, of me. And, And there was nothing else in my dad's field of view but me. What did he do all day? I wondered. Did he pray for us? Yes. Surely. Did he love us? Yes. I believe so. But how can a paralyzed person express his love, especially when his own children are banned from the room? Someone I have no sensory knowledge of spent all day, every day, thinking of me devoting himself to me, loving me as well as he could. And perhaps in some mysterious way, writes Nancy, Nancy, he's doing so now in another dimension. And perhaps one day I will have time, much time, to renew and deepen our relationship. Nancy goes on and says, I mentioned this story because the emotions I felt when my mother showed me the crumpled photo were the very same emotions I felt one February night in a college dormitory room when I first believed in a God of love. Someone is there, I realized. Someone is watching life as it unfolds on this planet. More than that, someone is there who loves me. And it was a startling feeling of wild hope, a feeling so overwhelming and true that it seemed fully worth risking my life on. And it still is. It still is. Your father's love is still worth risking your life on. May your heavenly dad bless you this day. May you feel his touch. May you hear his spoken words of value for you. May you know that he has pictured a special future and a hope for you. And may you continue to pass on his blessing to the many who need it within your reach. Please pray with me. Great God, we know that you love us with a firmness and a tenderness that even our own earthly parents can only approximate. And if there is anyone here today who has not yet discovered the blessing of your passion for him or her, then reach out and touch that person today. Fill every open soul in this room with the peace that comes from believing what you have said to us about our value. With the freedom that comes from turning over every sin and hurt of our heart to your loving hands. 
Fill every one of us with that joy that comes from knowing that you have a wonderful plan for each of us here and a glorious kingdom awaiting us even beyond time. And strengthened by that blessing, Lord, send us forth from here today to be bearers of your blessing to the world. For we pray these things, Father, Abba, Dad, in the name of Jesus. Amen.